Hey, real quick, if you are listening at WDET.org, just a heads up that you can also listen to this and other Curiosity episodes on your preferred podcasting app. Just search for Curiosity, spelled C-U-R-I-O-S-I-D. Okay, let's get to the show. This is Curiosity, where WDET, the NPR station in Detroit, finds answers to your questions about everything Detroit. I'm Laura Herberg. Okay, so we are doing things a little bit differently this time around. Normally, listeners like you submit questions to us about what makes Detroit, Detroit. Most of the time, your questions are about quirky things that you can't figure out or questions about our city's history. Well, this time around, we asked you to submit questions specifically about the upcoming election. And you guys did. And we noticed a couple themes developing. One of those themes was election security. And you guys weren't really so concerned about cybersecurity. You more so wanted to know about safety at the polls and at absentee ballot counting centers. These questions seem to be triggered by a particular event, and I will let WDET's Russ McNamara take it from here. Let's go back to November 2020. It's the day after the presidential election, and workers are in the basement of the TCF Center, that's formerly Kobo, processing and counting absentee ballots. Hours earlier, President Donald Trump, having lost his early lead in Michigan, filed a lawsuit claiming poll challengers were being denied access to the center. His supporters streamed downtown, causing chaos as they tried to get in. WDET's Laura Herberg was there reporting. These are Republican challengers who are banging on the window. A Trump campaign email had gone out urging them to shut down counting at TCF Center. What specifically are you protesting? I'm protesting the cheating. Through several audits and investigations, no cheating was found, but the lies and misinformation surrounding the election continues. For this special edition of Curiosity, we asked you what you wanted to know about the upcoming election. For many, the images of those days after the election are unforgettable. Here's Detroiter Sharon M. Finger. I was very alarmed at, you know, the November election to see people banging on the doors of Cobo. That was just, to me, outrageous. Sharon wants to know what Detroit plans to do to protect workers at its absentee ballot counting center this time around. Detroit City Clerk Janice Winfrey says extra measures have been implemented at Huntington Place. That's the Expo Center's latest name. We've hired additional uh, police officers that'll be down here. Um, 20 will be in this facility, uh, in this room. Everyone has to go through a metal detector. Everyone has to go through a metal detector. And the media observers and the like will have to sign affidavits. At a news conference before the August election, Winfrey says aggression and threats against workers continued long after the election. I I know you guys probably know that I was threatened. Half my staff here was threatened and um, for doing our jobs. (laughs) Um, But at the end of the day, that's the reason why we've beefed up security. Detroit police will be handling security at Huntington Place, but didn't want to discuss specifics of their plan. A spokesperson for the Michigan State Police says their officers will not have an election presence in Detroit or the suburbs, but will follow up on threats to election workers and attempts to intimidate voters. There's another question lingering here outside of security concerns, though. Why were the protesters so focused on Detroit in the first place? 
Detroit, under Clerk Dennis Winfrey, has had issues with keeping precincts balanced. This essentially means the number of voters tracked in poll books haven't always matched the number of ballots counted. This isn't fraud, but it is fuel for the fire of misinformation. Detroit is a majority black Democratic stronghold, with Donald Trump trailing by tens of thousands of votes. Throwing out the city's absentee ballots could have tipped the scales in his favor. What these people do is they point to Detroit and they go, oh, well, 174,000 ballots there, mail ballots, and Trump lost by 154,000. So if we just throw the Detroit mail ballots out, this election changes. That's Chris Thomas. Until 2017, he was Michigan's elections director for over 30 years, and he helped administer Detroit's elections in 2020. Trump supporters manufactured a conspiracy about election workers tampering with ballots. Thomas says this claim is absurd. And it's got some pretty negative racial connotations wrapped around um, those allegations. And it's real comfortable for outstate Republicans to make those allegations, but it, it's really unfortunate and unnecessary. But some of those allegations came from poll challengers inside the center. Challengers, usually one from each party, observe the processing of ballots and watch out for irregularities like mismatched signatures. They might attempt to throw out a ballot. Some workers at the time said some of the ruckus at TCF Center was due to challengers who were wholly unaware of what they could and couldn't do. What we find is that if you don't know how anything works, everything looks like a conspiracy. Michael Segris is the Canton Township Clerk and the 2021 Michigan Clerk of the Year. He was observing the counting process at the center in 2020. To combat that lack of familiarity, Segris says many clerks have gone out of their way to shine a light on the process by holding classes and seminars, while still being vigilant for those attempting to disrupt the ballot counting. I'm not overly concerned about election challengers. We are now changing our processes as election officials to handle individuals who might want to cause chaos in that process. Even if a bad actor gets through screening, Segrist says he's expecting the challengers to police themselves. Sometimes it's good just to have multiple challengers there to like tell the other weird challengers to calm down and behave themselves and act like normal human beings were adults. The vast majority of those protesting and challenging the count in 2020 were not from Detroit. Segrist says usually the people who process the ballots are locals. We empower people to, to take ownership over their own elections. We empower them by training them as election inspectors, not challengers, because challengers don't really have an official function. We like to train election inspectors because they're the, the they're your neighbors. They're the people who actually run the election. As for how the counting process will go at Huntington Place during this November's election, Chris Thomas says the extra training and education will pay off. I'm expecting what they're going to see is you know, a long, boring day, doing good work. And if it doesn't? Janice Winfrey says security is in place to handle it. I think people know not to try the shenanigans that they tried in 2020, or they will be dealt with. Security is tighter. Poll challengers are more informed. And the driving force for misinformation, Donald Trump, is not on the ballot. We'll have to wait and see if this translates to a smoother election on November 8th. That was WDET's Russ McNamara. We chose Sharon's specific question to highlight in Russ's story, but I have to say we received basically the same question from Brian Stokel of Detroit. And then Carol Aldridge Daniels of Detroit wanted to know how poll challengers would be managed at the polls. 
So thanks to all three of you for asking your questions. Something we are keeping our eye on now is that after Russ wrapped up his reporting for this story, the Republican National Committee and the Michigan Republican Party filed a legal challenge that alleges that new rules for challengers that were put out by the Michigan Secretary of State are illegal. Nothing has been decided yet, but the WDET news team is following the issue, and the Detroit Free Press has done some good reporting on it, and I will include a link in the show notes. So we wanted to gauge how the rest of you were feeling about safety and security at the polls, so we hit the streets and asked. Detroiter Alec Bojanowski says he is worried there could be an incident at the polls. I feel like, unfortunately, in today's, like, day and age, there's concerns with security with everything, unfortunately. So I would say, yeah. We also asked what could be done to make you feel safer at the polls. Hamtramck resident Ahmad Al-Kosimi says he feels safest when he can vote in a small facility for just his precinct rather than a building with multiple precincts. Like, I don't really vote at big places. Like, they're really split up. So just them being, like, smaller communities, voting, like, at local community centers, I feel like that's the best idea. Macomb resident Yuana Azar had a little trouble coming up with what would make her feel safer at the polls. Because I don't like cops, so not they don't make me feel safe. So not them necessarily. I'd say like security at the front. Just I don't want to see guns. Maybe outside, but not inside. And Detroiter Cameron McDonald says he'll be voting by mail so he can avoid the polls altogether. It's too much going on. It's a whole pandemic going on. I I, I ain't going. I do the uh, absentee ballot. And that's a good segue for me to remind you all that you can vote absentee for any reason in Michigan. And you can even vote absentee in person before Election Day. I had to do that for the primary because I realized at the last minute that I was going to be out of town and I didn't have an... As newsrooms across the country close their doors, independent and unbiased journalism is more crucial than ever. We rely on you just like you rely on us. This spring fundraiser, join us in protecting public media. Your support keeps us thriving. Invest in WDET's next chapter at WDET.org or tap donate in our mobile app. Absentee ballot. And you know what? It was kind of fun. It was a new experience. With that public service announcement out of the way, we are going to take a quick break. But when we get back, Russ McNamara will be joining me here to answer a few more of your election-related questions, this time specifically about stealing an election. So you're going to want to hear what he has to say. We'll be right back. All right, so WDET's Russ McNamara, the reporter you heard from earlier, is back here with me in the studio. And we received so many questions from you guys about the election that we wanted to tackle a few more of them. And so that's what we're going to do right now. So Russ, based on the questions we got, it looks like a couple people have been wondering since the 2020 presidential election, can you actually steal an election? Well, Laura, that question's a bit complicated, even if the answer is mostly no. On the local level, it's pretty difficult, as Canton Township Clerk Michael Segrist attests. I can tell you um, it is not possible to successfully change the process of counting ballots to change the outcome of an election. It's definitely not possible to do it without the public finding out. 
Seagrass says everyone would have to be in on it, even people of different political parties. Okay, but there was a conspiracy in 2020 about Detroit poll workers creating new ballots that presumably would have included votes for Biden. This, of course, did not actually happen. But is that a way to turn an election? Well, it could be if you could get away with it, but it's not really a thing. Sometimes ballots are damaged or have coffee stains or whatever. This doesn't invalidate someone's vote. So some workers will transfer over someone's vote to a new ballot. As Michael Segrist again points out, there are still safeguards to prevent fraud that way. We don't buy enough ballots to manufacture fake votes. Um, And the tabulators don't count ballots on the wrong paper or without the correct timing marks because everything is programmed. After the presidential election in 2020, the Wayne County Board of Canvassers made national headlines when it at first was deadlocked on whether or not to certify the election results. It eventually did, but George Harmon of Plymouth Township asked us, what happens to election boards who don't want to certify an election? Well, if it takes county canvassers more than 14 days to certify results, the task gets kicked up to the state board of canvassers. But whether or not the state board will certify is another question. For an election, it'd be highly unlikely for them to not do so. Though the board deadlocked in approving abortion rights and the voting rights initiative for the ballot, the split was ideological. In this case, the Michigan Supreme Court forced the board of canvassers to approve the ballot measures. They're on the ballot now at proposals two and three. Okay. Well, another question. Are there worries that unhappy candidates can challenge election results in court? Well, there is some worry there, though the courts were pretty unanimous in slapping down attempts by the Donald Trump campaign to throw out votes. Former Michigan Elections Director Chris Thomas isn't overly concerned given Michigan's structure for the judiciary. So far, we haven't seen an appellate court take these anti-democratic stands. And hopefully in Michigan, that won't happen. Part of the deal is we have an elected judiciary, and there are a lot of issues with that. But nonetheless, it it doesn't allow one person to do all the appointing, uh, like at the federal level. So because Michigan elects their judges and state Supreme Court justices, it prevents one political party from having a direct advantage over another? Exactly. Plus, there's always the backstop of, well, I don't like this judge, I'll just vote them out. Things are different, though, at the federal level. Donald Trump was president for four years and lost the national popular vote twice. But in that one term, he was able to select three Supreme Court justices and 224 federal judges for lifetime appointments. By comparison, Barack Obama appointed two Supreme Court justices and 280 federal judges in eight years. But again, you might find a judge who would side with a candidate purely for ideological reasons. But generally, there's an appeal that would require more judges or eventually justices to get involved. And that's why the election officials I talked to think it's highly unlikely to happen at the federal level and nearly impossible at the state level. Andy Crunk of Livonia and Justin Fazette of Warren asked us similar questions They essentially want to know if the legislature can do anything to overturn election results. Short answer, no. We've already seen a pretty good effort by bad actors and a group of people calling themselves electors attempt to change the outcome of the presidential election in 2020. But it didn't work. And there's state and federal investigations ongoing to determine whether this attempt was criminal. Here's, again, Canton Township Clerk Michael Segrist. In 2020, there was a substantial effort 
to get the courts to intervene. But the courts were pretty respectful that the elections belong to the people, not the courts or the legislatures, right? Um, elected officials should not be able to throw out the votes of valid electors. Essentially, Laura, this all comes down to the legislature's power and throwing out votes is something they don't have. And there would have to be a lot of conspirators to subvert the will of the people in a presidential election. And Michigan's legislative Republican leadership refused to go along with it two years ago. For now, that seems unlikely to change. Okay. Thank you, Russ. And thank you, listeners, once again, for all of your election questions. We are going to wrap things up in just a second. But before I let you go, I wanted to let you guys know that we are working on a curiosity episode about Detroit-style pizza. And for that episode, we want you to tell us your favorite Detroit-style pizza place. Is it Buddy's? Is it Louie's? Is it Cloverleaf? Is it a little hole-in-the-wall spot that only you and your neighbors know about? Tell us who makes the best Detroit-style pizza and why it's so good there. You can tweet at us by tagging CuriosityWDET, or you can leave us a voicemail on our Curiosity question line. I will put the details in the show notes. Okay, cue the credit music. You have been listening to Curiosity, a WDET production. I'm Laura Herberg, and I am the executive producer of this show. I also edited and produced this episode. Thank you to all of our question askers this episode, Sharon M. Finger, Brian Stokel, Carol Aldridge Daniels, Justin Fazette, Andy Kronk, and George Harmon. Also, thanks to WDET's Russ McNamara for staying up late at night after his All Things Considered shifts to report all of these answers. Mastering and some mixing for this episode was done by WDET's Connor Anderson. Our music is by Will Sessions. Special thanks to WDET's head of podcasts, David Lyons, for production support. Jerome Vaughn is the WDET news director and interim program director. WDET's digital team is Sophia Joswiak and Dave Kim. Thank you to our new crop of podcast interns, Patrick Furness, Ashley Harris, and Jack Philbrandt. All right, until next time, stay on the lookout for a good curiosity question. And when you find one, be sure to let us know.